Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Hoare, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, November 25th, 2018, on the basis of Mark 13, verses 26 through 37. How would you like to be a time wizard? That was the title of an article that I came across this week. How would you like to be a time wizard? Time is a commodity that it seems to me as though just about everyone is unhappy with just about all of the time, right? Almost each and every day we we maybe express some sort of lament that time is either moving too fast or moving too slow, that we wish so desperately that we could either speed it up or slow it down. Well, the good news is that at least according to one man, at least according to Dr. David Eagleman, you can. David Eagleman is a neuroscientist and professor at Stanford University, and he would tell you that, yes, in an absolute sense, time is a a fixed thing, a fixed entity. You can't actually change the speed at which it is passing, but he would say you very much can change the way your mind perceives that it is passing. You've maybe even observed how when you're really, really young, You take one year of your life, and it seems as though that year just stretches on and on for all eternity, but by the time you become a middle-aged man or woman, you take that same period of time, 365 days, and boy, it just seems to go by in the blink of an eye. David Eagleman would say, there's a reason for that. He would also say, there's something you can do about that. You can change that. In fact, the the rate at which we perceive that time is passing is actually quite flexible. You can speed it up. You can slow it down. All you have to do is buy his book, read read it, follow his advice, and pretty soon you'll be well on your way to becoming a bona fide, certified time wizard. I don't know if it'll work. I don't know if it'll help. But I do know that David Eagleman is not the only one who is concerned about how we perceive the passing of time. Today we're wrapping up this series that's entitled Live Like You'll Live Forever. We've been talking about all of the different ways in which the certainty of our eternity impacts how we live in the here and now. And today we're going to see specifically how it does so in terms of how we spend our time. If there really is a life after this one, if there really is a life that lasts for all eternity, if we really are going to live forever, then what in the world should we be up to until that forever begins? Jesus has the answer in the verses from Mark that we're looking at this morning. And as we turn our attention to these verses, we're going to hear Jesus remind us that the stakes in answering this question are incredibly high. We might think to ourselves that, that sure, Jesus is coming back, but what we spend our lives doing in the meantime doesn't really matter a whole lot, doesn't really have all that big of an impact. But from these verses, we very clearly see that the way we spend our time now very much determines whether we are ready when, in fact, Jesus comes back. And so you'll hear there's, there's urgency in Jesus' voice. There's pleading in Jesus' voice as he tells us to keep this on our minds and on our hearts. And we're going to see that Jesus is aware that perhaps the greatest danger in keeping us unaware and unawake as we think about his return is how we perceive the passage of time. And so Jesus is going to help us out a little bit. We'll not only 
hear him urgently plead for us to stay awake and stay ready for his return, we'll also hear him make sure that we perceive time accurately the way that he does. As we turn our attention to these verses from Mark this morning, we'll hear Jesus help us with this important lesson that you and I need to realize that we have far less time than it seems like we do. Jesus has been talking with his disciples at quite quite a great length about their future, and specifically about his return. And in these verses, he's sort of bringing it all to a big grand conclusion, and he specifically spells out what the purpose, what the point of his return is going to be. He says, the Son of Man is going to return in all power, all glory, riding on the clouds as his chariot. He's going to send out the angels to gather his people from every corner of the earth, This is what all of history is leading up to. This is the grand culmination of all of human history. Jesus comes back to take his people home. And so it's no surprise that Jesus says, as often and as urgently as he says, keep watch, stay awake, be alert, be on guard. We don't want to miss Jesus' return because we don't want to miss out on the salvation that Jesus came to bring. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, this is true not just in terms of Jesus coming back, it's true in other areas of our lives as well. That big, beautiful 30-point buck that you've been dreaming of at night might waltz right into the woods. He might come within 50 yards of your tree stand. He might stand there, statue still, broadside. But if you've fallen asleep, If you aren't keeping watch, it it won't make a bit of difference. You'll miss out. Your child might pull off on the basketball court, the play of all plays, sports center top 10 worthy play, bringing home the victory for the team right at the buzzer. But if you've taken a call for work and stepped out of the gym for a moment, you're going to miss out. It won't matter right? You won't benefit from that thing. The very best thing in the world could happen to you, but if you aren't paying attention, if you miss it, you will also miss out on it. And so it's no wonder that Jesus says, stay awake, keep watch, pay attention. It's also no wonder that Jesus answers a question that he knows curious minds will want to know the answer to. How long? When's it going to happen? And the words that you heard in these verses that maybe you were familiar with already give a a simple and obvious answer to that question. The answer is no one knows when Jesus is coming back. And yet, as much as that is the case, there's more to the answer that Jesus has been giving his disciples. See, part of what Jesus has been talking about are signs that would remind his disciples constantly that Jesus could come back at any moment. He talks about earthquakes and famines. He talks about wars and rumors of wars. He talks about false teaching from inside the church and persecution from outside of the church. And then Jesus wraps up this entire discussion about all of the signs that they should look for with a very important statement. He says this, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. You see, Jesus didn't give his disciples a a long list of signs that they could sort of check off one by one by one until they get down to the very last one, and then, then when they check that one off, then boom, Jesus comes back. We can't pull out such a list today, November 25th, 2018, and say, okay, here we are, 
75% of the signs have already happened. 25% still remain. I guess we've got a little bit of time left until Jesus comes back. No, Jesus gives his disciples this list of signs. And then all of the signs start happening immediately. All of the signs have been happening ever since Jesus went back up into heaven. And the reason Jesus gives us the signs that he does is because he wants us to picture him the way that he wants to be pictured. He says, picture me standing at your door. If Jesus is sort of like a guest coming over for Thanksgiving dinner, it's not as if he's just left the house and still has an hour drive ahead of him. It's not even if, as if he is stuck in traffic on the Beltline because of all the Badger fans that left the game early yesterday. It's not as if he's just getting off of 18151 at the Mount Horeb exit, or even as if he's at the roundabout over by Quick Trip. No, he has parked his car in the driveway. He has gotten out. He has shut the door. He has walked up to the front porch, and he is standing at the door. That's how Jesus wants you to picture him in his return. And so it's no wonder that he says as urgently and as often as he does, keep watch, be alert, be on guard. Jesus wants us to realize that we have less time than we think that we do. Call me crazy, but you let 2,000 years pass from the time that Jesus spoke these words, and I think it's easy for some of that urgency to wear off. Call me crazy, but I think you and I need to be reminded on an ongoing, regular basis to see the passage of time the way that Jesus sees it, to remember that he is, in fact, standing at the door, that we need to remember as we make decisions each and every day about what to do with our lives and how to spend our time, that we need to remember what quickly passes and quickly ends versus what will truly last forever. When we think about ourselves, sure, we have career ambitions and financial goals. We have homes that we'd love to renovate, trips that we'd love to take, hobbies that we'd love to take up, and that's all fine and well and good, but we need to remember that those things will not last forever. We, however, will. And so it's only natural that out of all the things that we find time in the day to do, that we find time to stay close to God by being here in his house and by being in his word. That rather than giving in to the temptations that are especially enticing to us, or conforming to the priorities that the world would want to set for us, that we resist those things, we reject those things. When it comes to our children, we have plans for them too, right? Plans for school, plans for sports, plans that they would would grow up, have a family of their own, and have a life that is better than ours. That's the American dream, right? And of course, all of those plans are fine and well and good, but again, those things will not last. They, however, will And so it's important that we don't just teach them everything that we know about chemistry and curveballs, that we don't just pass along to them our favorite recipes or our political preferences, but that we also teach them what we know about God. And that we know, that there is nothing more important than God in our relationship with him, that we pass along to them what others passed along to us so that they in turn would pass it along to their children. As you think about that friend or that coworker, that neighbor, that family member, maybe someone with whom your, your connection is casual but friendly, maybe someone with whom your relationship is very deep and very meaningful, and maybe 
in either case, a relationship that where you're fine with it just as it is and don't want it to change. It's important to remember that the dynamics of that relationship won't last, but those people will. And so it's important for us, natural for us, to look for opportunities, to listen to sort of the, the spiritual undercurrents of the things that they are saying, to get a, an idea of where they are at, and then to look for opportunities to share what we know about God with them, to invite them to come and hear what we hear about God here in church, rather than think of the hundred different reasons we could give for not doing those things. I don't know about you, but, but the urgency and the repetition in Jesus' words is difficult for me to hear. Difficult to hear Jesus describe himself as standing right outside my door because I know that so often I live and act as though he's a long, long ways away. That as he's standing there right at the door, we're inside the house thinking we've got all the time in the world. That the things we want to do and the things that we think are important, the ways that we want to spend our time, that we've got all the time in the world for that. And as, as far as Jesus coming back, sure, that'll happen someday, but probably not during our lifetime. And so it sure is a good thing that on that last day of all days, Jesus isn't coming. He's coming back. He's coming a second time. It sure is a good thing that when he comes in all power and all glory, it's because he came a first time in absolute weakness and humility. See, when Jesus shows up, it won't be like that stereotypical mother-in-law who's a little bit too critical of everything that you do, who wants to check for dust on every surface in the house and who will criticize the Thanksgiving meal if it's a little bit overcooked. When Jesus shows up, it's not like Santa Claus constantly watching us to see who's been bad or good and whether we belong on the list of people who are naughty or nice. No, when Jesus comes in all power and all glory, it will be the second time he will have come. And that first time was to save us from all of our sins. That first time was not riding on the clouds as his chariot. Instead, it was making a, a, a manger full of hay as his bed and making a cross as his throne. He came to this world the first time in human flesh as the Son of Man to make a payment. To use his own blood to write out a check for the entire world, including you and me. Your sin did not dissuade him. Your failures did not deter him. He loved you so much that he gave absolutely everything just so he could have you. And now, after spending a little bit of time back home, sort of rearranging the mansion, moving the furniture around to make room for his new prized possession, he's going to come back to take you to be with him. What wonderful news. And it's on that basis that Jesus says so urgently, so lovingly, so repeatedly, be on guard, be alert, keep watch. You and I need to realize that we have less time than it seems as though we do so that we are awake when Jesus comes back. What do you think that actually looks like in the life of a Christian? Have you ever wondered that? Should we just all quit our jobs? Drop out of school? Sell our possessions? Just kind of sit outside looking up into the sky each and every day just waiting for Jesus to come back? 
We might be tempted to, to think that the life of a Christian constantly awake, constantly watching and waiting will sort of suck all the fun right out of life. Really just the opposite is the case. As he taught his disciples about his return, he went on to make another comparison. He said it's sort of like a man who has left his house and entrusted his house, entrusted the authority of overseeing that house to his servants. And notice that as the servants wait for that master to come back, yes, they are very much waiting, they are very much watching, but they aren't all just sitting there in the front room, staring out that front window, waiting for Jesus to pull into the driveway. No, he says that, yes, they are watching, but also that each one of them has their assigned task. Each one of them has work to do. And really, the two of those things, watching and work, they they kind of go hand in hand. We might be tempted to think that spending our whole lives watching and waiting for Jesus' return results in us enjoying life less. It actually results in us enjoying life a whole lot more. What if, instead of looking forward to the eternity that Jesus has prepared for us, this life was all that there was. This life is all that we had to hope for. Either that we would die and, and then that'd be it, or that we would spend all of eternity doing really the same things that we're doing here right now. What if what you are going to be doing for the next six days would be put on sort of an infinite loop and it would just last for all eternity? Put a whole lot of pressure on what you are going to spend those six days doing, right? You would feel the burden, you would feel the pressure of making sure that each and everything that you do, each and everything that you pursue brings the ultimate joy and satisfaction that your heart so desperately desires. And ultimately, as you would pursue those things, and even if you would catch and achieve those things, if they would let you down, if they would not quite be as good as you had hoped, it would be absolutely devastating. On the flip side, if your life would be full of any amount of pain, any amount of difficulty, any amount of challenge or frustration, you, you absolutely could not tolerate that. You would, do, you would have to do everything possible to try and eliminate that from your life. And yet, because we are waiting for Jesus, because we know that Jesus is bringing an eternity of bliss and joy and thrill and, pro- and pleasure that we can't even possibly imagine, it actually sets us free to enjoy life a whole lot more than that. It sets our lives free from that burden of satisfying the ultimate joy and satisfaction that our hearts desire because we know that that's what eternity is for. So think about that. Jesus has promised to bring back salvation, joy and bliss beyond our wildest dreams. And on top of that, on top of that, he gives us this life with all of its good things. He promises me heaven. And he also gives me a few decades of enjoying ribeye steaks and daughters who like to snuggle and sons who like to wrestle and jobs that we can apply our skill and our energy and our passion to and homes that we can renovate and trips that we can take, all as icing on the cake. How wonderful is that? And on the flip side, when life is full of tears and pain and heartache, We can handle all of that a lot more, knowing that one day, very soon, it will come to an end. That one day, everything bad will be no more. Far from sucking all of the fun out of life, constantly waiting and watching for Jesus' return actually sets us free to enjoy this life for what it is, to enjoy it a whole lot more. 
we need to realize that we have less time than it seems like we have, not only so that we are awake when Jesus comes back, but so that we are awake until he does. So stay awake. Easier said than done, right? It's an interesting comparison that Jesus makes. Our, our spiritual watchfulness is compared to physical awakeness. Spiritual apathy, spiritual unpreparedness is therefore compared to, spirit, to, to physical slumber. So stay awake. You know how hard that is, right? You might used to have been able to stay up all night. Now it might be a little bit more difficult. When it comes time to sleep, it's pretty tough to keep those eyes open. Far more than needing a, a neuroscientist and professor at Stanford University, you and I need divine intervention. And thankfully, that's exactly what Jesus gives us in these verses with his urgent pleading, with helping us realize that we have less time than it appears that we do. And so as we wrap up this entire church year, let Jesus' word be the last word, the word that he spoke to his disciples, that he speaks to everyone, that he speaks to you. Dear friends, keep watch. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.